Wait, sorry. Hang on, run that by me again. Okay, so when you left, right, they sent the fake Jobsworth to come and live in the material? Right? Explain that part, right? That's right. Sorry, I've I've lost track of my butlers. I also believe that was quite some time ago for you, friend. Yeah, so like I kind of thought maybe when we got back I might be able to mess with you a little. I don't mean like in a bad way, I just mean in the way that I usually do because you're my brother. So, like, I'm sorry, or whatever, but I thought we could use that. I'm sorry, use it for what? The thing I have planned. Oh. Oh, I see. Like, I just think it would work, but we're gonna need, like, a whole bunch of, like, the local foliage and... Welcome to Runelanders, the world's greatest curated 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons a retro-futuristic fantasy epic. We've got a style and a sound all our own, but before we get too much further into it, I think now is a good time to mention that it's no coincidence that our logo is a big red R. So, understand that this show contains adult content in the form of darker themes, sexual content, references to drug use, and constant coarse language. Now. We don't beat these topics over the head, but we don't shy away from them when they come up either. We use a fairly robust set of safety tools when recording these adventures. This is yours. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing is your bag, well then, sit back, kick back, chill out, and relax. And as you prepare to lend an air, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond, will they remain merely outlaws or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. All seven and we'll watch them fall. They stand in the way of love and we will smoke them all. With an intellect and a savoir faire. No one in the whole universe will ever compare. I am yours now and you are mine and too. Together we love through all space and time, so don't cry. One day all seven will die. A couple days later in the taxidermy lab, Arabet is grabbing a fire extinguisher off the wall in the form of a glass globe full of water, which he then turns and throws with verve at the work table, which is on fire, and Ziva, standing there looking at Arabet perplexed as to why he would have added those two things when obviously they explode into fire, 
seems a little bit exasperated. In fact, she's having trouble forming words. Bet, what have you to say for yourself? Sorry, Ziba. I think I fucked up. Yeah, you just... Uh, is this really... Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna go over there. I'll go back out for the list. Oh, this is driving me crazy. We've only done it 13 times. We should have gotten it by now. The lighting fixture moves then and blinks twice. And the light recedes from a proper examination brightness to the regular illumination behind Calder's mechanical orbs. The dragon reconfigures himself into a more conversational form and says, Well, Erebeth, if you're off to get some more supplies, I'll, uh, I'll take this opportunity to stretch. Which is weird, because every plate and rivet and joint of this mechanical frame that right now looks more draconic than human, although not so long as his regular draconic body. This one looks to be more or less anthropoid in shape. But still, machines, you know, are static things. They perform a certain range of movement, right? And this is why they're not living things. They're built to do a certain thing, that thing only. Yet, this machine, which is called her, stretches and moves and has every range of movement. All the flexibility of living skin, although you can see it is plainly made of rigid material. Caller, you are totally amazing. Arabit walks out of the tent. Fucking oogie boogie left. Oogie boogie right. Oogie boogie. Nari, the place just isn't the same. It doesn't resonate with you. It doesn't feel anymore. You used to be fond of this place. It was a favorite of yours. But things have changed. Your feelings have changed. They've become far less obtrusive. And now, now that you have learned the art of faces, you realize that you were only the first of your many, many masks. It has been liberating, freeing even. Yet, as you walk around the House of Violet, you know that all of your power resonates here better than anywhere else. This is the reason, of course, that you are all leery of going to Umber's. Why go to her place of power? Of course, in refusing her invitation, there was mortal offense caused. She wasn't interested in trinkets or offers of trade. And took your answer as no. The considerable expense and effort to which she put to be rebuffed was not forgotten. However, since no overt action was taken, she RSVP'd nonetheless for the ball. The ball. That's tonight. Everything is just about in order. The staff here is excellent. Jobsworth himself would approve. Jobsworth. That's the part of the plan that still has yet to fall into place for you, Nari. You said you would save him, but what if he's gone too far to green? 
He hasn't come back recently. There hasn't been any sort of news from Gallo Glass, and it has been a while. Now, granted, you and Arabet did spend a long time yesterday working on that. Like, several, several periods of time worth. But, I mean, these things are only 24 hours long. How long can you really spend there before you've done everything? The ball is today. How in the hell are you going to save Jobsworth? Well, have I seen any sign of him or Galloglass? Um, they're not besieging the place, are they? They are not, no. Are you going to tap into the information part of the Magenta Militia? Yeah, yeah, I'll go and uh, see if I can uh, flag down, uh, yeah, speaking of flag, a colonel flag. I assume there's one or two running around in the intelligence services here. One or two, you can go and check with them. Well, any time in the past couple of days, and they'll tell you the up-to-the-minute news. Things change drastically from day to day, often from minute to minute depending on which version of the minute you're living. Well, what's uh, what's the news, if any, that they have about the... Uh, yeah, about Galloglass, but specifically about the Warlock. The Kern fella that, won, that follows him around. Well, sir, I would imagine, given their reputation, Galloglass and Kern are off chasing the Bogeyman. Tis the season, after all. They'll be here for the ball, but I'd imagine they're having adventures this morning. Why, they've had adventures this morning for as long as anyone can remember. I'm sure that's what they're about. Still hunting that pesky boogeyman, eh? Well, they go backwards and forwards and forwards and back. You know, it's a local legend around here. Haven't you heard of them often exotic and far away over there, Bailey Mina? Or is that just a Bailey Minach sort of thing? Yeah, I'll, I'll, like, make a sort of a show of, like, pondering it and then uh, wave him away. Just release him. Well, you fix him with your gaze, and the other two who are tending the hedge kind of stop what they're doing, set their implements down, and start walking over towards the sassy one. Just, like, because th that's what they're doing. They seem to be, like, mirroring your annoyance. And uh, the one reaches into its pocket and pulls out like a, a kosh, right? The other one puts a, it takes a pair of gloves out, puts those on. As they're creeping up on the third, who suddenly isn't smirking at you anymore. And with eyes that grow steadily bigger, backs into his colleagues, who grab him by the elbows. One of them bends his elbow the wrong way so that he bends at the waist, looks at you, and when you wave him off, leads the offender by that bent joint away into the maze. You've gotten soft, Nari. Turn around with a grin. How you doing, chum? Softening up nicely. I can see that. We really have uh, lightened up how very 
humane of you. So what can I do for you? I'm just marveling at how far the man has come. Anyway, I just thought, big party tonight, everybody's going to be on to everything else. There's going to be a big announcement. We know how it goes, right? How many of these things are we going to have to do, right? I'm going to give you one more chance. I'll even trade them. I'll give him that Jobsworth fella, and he can go back to being property of the Violet Company, or whatever the hell she calls it over there. And even exchange, and you and I can go back to having our adventures, chasing that boogeyman around, because as long as you're you, you ain't him. But this is your last offer, Nari. You want to trade? You can save your friend. I can see it on your face. I'm afraid family comes first. With that, Owen Jawsworth steps out of the hedgerow behind Galaglass. He's like, and we're not family, eh, Nari? Hey, you know, who made me, Nari? Where did I come from, Nari? But your own experiences in Bailey Mina, kissing asses, doing as you were told. Huh, Nari? You put me here, mate. You're the reason I got here in the first place. I came to save you. You're going to do me like this. I really thought you would have come up with something cleverer. But family first, eh? Yup. Family first. You're a right bastard, Nariulu. I can't fucking believe you. And Jobsworth draws himself up with his shoulders all broad, and he's looking at you like, you son of a bitch. And then it dawns on him that his fate henceforth lies in the hands of Galloglass. And so he stands just off of Galloglass's right hand, and you see as Galloglass reaches his hand up and places his hand on the top of Jobsworth's back with his pinky just at the top of his humerus and his fingers partially on the side of one side of his neck with his thumb on the other occupying the space behind his ear. And when you see him do this to Jobsworth, your skin fucking crawls, Nari. Is that your decision? Says Galloglass. Family first. No trade. I will glare at Galaglass and tell him no trade. Good choice, Nari. So, I get to keep him then, huh? I suppose in this case, I think the thing to do would be to fish around in my uh, satchel and uh, cast Banish, pull out a pink slip and toss it to Jobsworth. All right, you reach into your satchel and open the first book you find in there, and that's your forms binder. Flipping through it without looking, any good documenter knows how to find things by feel after all. You take out the pink slip, which it must be said, just needs to be dated because frankly, this has been coming for some time. At least as far as the book's concerned, because the book's always right. The book is scrupulous about its own maintenance, after all. As you pull the citation out of your bag, it comes out about the size of a sheet of letter paper, bright pink. Jobsworth's eyes narrow. You see Galloglass's grip tighten. You throw the document out and speak. The eldritch words, which in the language of creation essentially mean 
We no longer require your services at this time. The slip expands and flies out, enfolding the form of Jobsworth as Galloglass pulls his hand away, barely in time. The form finishes filling itself out, complete with a shocked portrait of Jobsworth. And as the form hits the ground, that Jobsworth has been returned to extra human resources. Good enough, says Galloglass. No deal, huh? All right. Come on, Boogie. Let's go. And with a wrench, Galloglass collects what he had traded you for Jobsworth. And they go back about their eternal pursuit. Copper pennies, you pull up out in front of a favorite local restaurant, and this is Bronze Tusks. It has the best food in Old Bailey Mina, if anybody here is to be asked. It's the family atmosphere, right? You guys come here once in a while just to have some supper. It's outside of Copper Penny Row and Lost Acre, and uh, it's a good spot to catch your breath in a short rest. Okay, who's buying? And you look up, there's this great big orc, and he's uh, seven feet tall by seven feet across the shoulders. He's got a long rope, manila rope-like braid of hair down the center of his back, and a broad, honest grin, right? This is the ex-gladiator Jairus Bronstus, famous restaurateur in Belimina. Best borscht, number one fish salad, Number one beer, all of Bailey Mina. You hear the commercials all over the city. Who has no borscht, has no love. And so, Jairus brings a tray. It has four balls, small baby balls, but balls. Four borscht and one fish salad in middle of table. Uh, it is good to be back. It is good to be back. The fish salad in this case, uh, you've opted for the southern style hot fish salad, which is uh, four fillets battered and fried on a bed of potatoes. This is fantastic. I'm starving. I don't usually uh, cook my fish, but we'll give it a try. Normally, I'd be too nervous to eat, but we don't come up here too often. Anyway, you eat, enjoy your supper, but do you know what kind of trouble you are causing here? I would assume The same lots. kind we always do? More trouble than usual is bad for you, Copper Penny Kids. This is just a sideline. I raise... The best rat meat that you can, the money can buy. Ah, yes, you. I know you. You, my friend, could have such a future in restaurants. But you run around like some kind of villain. Well, everyone has to have a hobby. Not all of us can be heroes. 
Not all of us should be heroes. Let heroes go die on battlefield. Let smart people do smart jobs in city. But you are young and you are foolish. And all the heroes can do is watch you do your things and hope that my friends come to their sense before there is no time. Enjoy your dinner, kids. I, you, everyone knows Bronstosk is neutral ground. I give you six hours before people else come in here to look to see when you go. Your hospitality is always appreciated. Eat, rest. Do not abuse. Always appreciate. Then again, Thrasher might uh, want to add this to his bag of tricks. He may actually want the bike. I think he'd pay a good price for it. I'm going to forget that you forgot not to mention name in my restaurant. Sorry. My apologies. It should be well known. This is not Copper Penny Road. Okay, so you rest, you eat, you be friends. No business for him here at all. You know this. Enjoy. Thanks again. So guys, um, is there any chance that we might be able to buy off our problem with uh, the orcs with the bike? I think that's something we should discuss once we get back to Copper Benny Road. Well, if the bike is worth more than what's in the box, would it be better just to give him back the box and give the bike to he who should be not named in this establishment? Once no. again, we don't know what's in the box. I want to know what's in the box. What's in the box? I, I think the box goes to the person who asked for the box because he's scarier than the orc. But we weren't told that we couldn't look in the box. After all, we want to make sure that what's in the box isn't damaged before we give it to them. That's just good business sense. I'm with Raffin here. Scar is carrying the box. Tap and oh, a little bit of this, something happens there, bang, boom, things get broken. Uh, sometimes when I cast spells, crazy things happen, like maybe a box opening by itself. Maybe. Are you going to try to open the box? Guys, this is a really bad idea. Especially since it belonged to a, well, to Grenick. We all saw what Grenick did to that tri-faced cat monster. It's bad business to open the box. But I got to know! Well, then do some butterfly magic and take a peek inside without opening it. You can do that, right? I'm not that cool yet. Alas, neither am I. Can I at least look at the box? Uh, we are in a public restaurant. I don't know. Uh, hmm. I put the box on the table. 
And the box sits there. It's a case, actually. It has a handle on it. It is one of those cases that's made out of many layers of wood where you can't find one particular seam anywhere that would open it up. There's also no visible lock, and uh, it appears to be made of all kinds of different sliding slats. It's painted black, too, so you can't really even tell by the different sorts of grains. You have to know which way to sit it, which way to open it up, in which sequence to open all the slats. It's a gosh darn puzzle box. Patty quickly puts his napkin over top of it. What are you doing? Yeah, it's a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. I agree. I'm starting to agree as well. From outside the restaurant, you hear, Oye, come stand, Jorgak. That's not good. Listen, I'm not so good at the mother tongue. Jairus, don't make me come in there. All right, uh, back door, back door, back door. Put the box in a bag of holding, let's go. I'm willing to bet the back door is guarded. I'm saying upstairs and we take to the rooftops. Good idea. Lead the way. You guys go running to the back stairs to get up the back stairs. And the back door explodes in. I told you to be somebody at the back door. There's always somebody at the back door. Standing there is a woman who appears to be on fire. And behind her is about eight feet of Goliath. Up the stairs, up the stairs, up the stairs, up the stairs. Go, 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 go. Don't have to tell me. Uh, Up the stairs and uh, casting chaos bolt. All right, so you begin reaching out to whatever powers will listen. Patty grabs a handful of ball bearings and lets them roll down the stairs. All right. The firewoman clears the first landing of stairs in one jump. You guys have made it up to the second floor. There are two more floors to go up. Uh, Casting chaos bolt at uh, the firewoman. I got a 16. She steps out of the way and your bolt goes smashing into the wall beside her. Like she literally, she waits, she sees it coming. You're like, well, fuck that. Well, I took care of that. That was easy. And then she just like tugs herself out of the way at the last minute. Looks at you, raises an eyebrow, (laughs) and chuckles. And then with another leap, heads up the stairs towards you. Patty continues going up the stairs, dropping ball bearings all the way along. He'll use all thousand if he needs to. It is the second landing which wipes her out as you guys round the corner to go up to the fourth and final floor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep going, keep going. There's a door at the end of the hall, which uh, like there's doors down either side of this hallway, but it's a long hallway that runs down the roof. You know, this is where Jaharis quarters his cooks and his like, you know, all the people who work work for him and live here. So you're Running down the hall to the end of the running down the hall, there's a door at the end of the hall. You, this is the only thing that looks like it could be any sort of way out of here. Maybe it's a fire escape. I cast minor illusion to make it look like there's no door here. And I reach out ahead, uh, ahead with mage hand to open the door, so we have a clear path through. Okay, so the door opens. You guys pull. You guys peel into the room. 
Tell me there's a window. Tell me there's a window. There is a window here. Which looks out over the front of the building. In front and in the square and in the big open plaza in front of Bronze Tusks, you see the smiling white-haired Scrimshaw Tusk face of Grenick Bloodtooth. There's no LF for you to run, you little shits. Everybody get out here right now. And I need a wisdom save, please. Oh, crap. 22. 21. 11. 7. Okay, so uh, Scar and Patty probably should just do what he says. I mean, it's Granick, right? He's not a bad guy. Granick, Granick's your buddy. He'd never hurt you. It's enough of this silly fucking around. Stealing from Grenick was probably a mistake, and he'll square it with Thrasher. This was likely one of those tests that Tim says Arabat makes him do. You guys, fucking Grenick. Grenick ain't a bad guy. So why do we want to piss Grenick off, right? Now, um, you should probably go down there and see him. As for the two of you who rolled better than 16, fuck him. You're not going nowhere near him. Not with this case and not with his reputation for what he does to people who disobey him. You know? Fucking no. When you decided to, when you took the job from Thrash to steal from Grenick, if you knew that if he caught you, the lines would be drawn. So, no possible way. So, when Scar and Patty just turned to leave the room like it's all good, um, shrugging and heading for the, the window to jump down Featherfall. Can I grab them both by the ear? You need to roll an opposed athletics check with both of them. Actually, uh, Scar, you know, just in case you don't drop the box here, let me hold on to that for you while you, uh, while you get down and I'll get, I'll give it back to you. Well, he just starts walking over towards the window, right? Well, I'm not giving you the box, but I'm also rolling an athletics of four. So, uh, yeah. Yes, I rolled a 12. And Patty rolls a mighty nine. So- All right. So, so the pair of you are like, well, fuck, okay, yeah, we should just go and start walking directly towards the window. Uh, Patty, to throw yourself to your death and... Uh, well, like, sorry, to, to climb down, rather. And, Scar, uh, you're just going to float down because it's easier. And, uh, you know, everybody's going to be going anyway because, honestly, who could resist Granick at this point, right? Um, so you just cast a spell. And it's when you feel the magic settle in that you know what he's going to, that you know that he, what he's about to do. So that's when Raffin says, hey, Scar, how about you let me hold the box? And uh, mumbles, don't worry about words, uh, reaches out and grabs one rabbit, one long rabbit ear and one round human ear in her hands and gives them both a twist. Both of you can repeat your wisdom save. With advantage. Mumbles would also like to call them both idiots. Well, this is part of the spell, so. Patty rolled a 16. 
yeah, I got a 20, 20, 20 even. Perfect. Okay. So uh, this is more than enough to get Grenix, to break Grenick's spell. But fuck, he was convincing. You guys almost went down there and handed yourselves over. Uh, did my feather fall go off? Yep. Okay, just checking for chaos. Which is a good thing because the door behind you now explodes open. And there's a burning woman standing in that doorway. I say we get on the roof and start hightailing it. Hey, Delilah. Hello. That motherfucker who hired that knoll is right out in the square in front of Jaharis's. Oh, Delilah's got blades drawn already. Uh, and who are you? Oh, you guys are looking out the window as probably the most radiant looking human person you've ever seen. And another one, another human person, a male human person, somewhat bigger, with a sword drawn, comes striding across the square towards where Grenick stands, cocky, hands on hips. No time to worry about that. Just go, go, go. Uh, we strap to the bike and go. Both of his men turn to see these two people coming and uh, react to the very serious threat. The human woman. Well, why don't I let her describe what she is going to do to this person? Delilah, if you would, please. Oh, and Shakir. Uh, two of these fucking amateur night goons come walking with these replica kukrats like so many other orcs who have needed to have their teeth kicked in. So, milady and sir, please. Delilah looks for all the world like she just ate the sun. It's shining from her when she opens her mouth to speak and say, Hey, Grenick, I got a bone to pick with you. She uncoils a whip from her hip and snaps it as he's going for a weapon. She snarls a little bit and says, And my friend's got one, too. Shakir only slightly lifts his blade looking at the amateur hour goons, kind of tilting his head as if to say, really, this, this is what you've got? And looks at them. My quarrel is not with you. You may stand and face us, or you may live. Oh, shit. They choose to live. Granick and his men see you coming. The ones that you've delivered the warning to drop their weapons because goddamn Shakira, that was cold. For her part, as soon as the woman who ate the sun showed up, stopped in her steps, looked at you, turned around and headed back down the stairs. As the two big orc dropped their weapons uh, in front of Shakir's ultimatum, the flame woman bursts out into the courtyard and combat is joined but not with the woman who ate the sun. No, the firewoman goes downstairs and goes after Grenick, who runs off ahead of her. When he sees her coming at him with malice aforethought, man, he is gone, using every quick spell he has to get out of her way. She vanishes through the streets of Bailey Mina, 
casting firelights on the faces of the buildings that she passes. Copper pennies. Stage left is wide open. Stage left is taken. Away uh, we go. You all get yourselves downstairs, mount up onto your motorcycle, and head back towards Copper Penny Row. Well, that went better than I thought it would. What was that? I think it's far above our pay grade. Hey, Delilah. Hello. Grenick turns tail and runs. Roll initiative. 24. 21 for Delilah. Okay, so Grenick goes zipping off down the street. You go zipping off down the street after him. He sees this and cuts a hard right down an alley. You run down the alley after him. However, it, as you go running down the alley, you see that Grenick has stopped to wipe out some chickens. It is now difficult terrain unless you'd like to make a chad to try to jump over them. I would. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a 21, so uh, parkour. Right on. So uh, Grenick wipes out this stack of chicken crates, which, which clogs up the alleyway, but uh, that doesn't confront Shakir none. Without breaking stride, he steps up onto one of these chicken crates, bounces off this narrow wall of the alley on the left side, and then on the right, and then again on the left, before landing on his feet on in the alley without losing any speed at all. Delilah, same deal. Delilah whistles at Shakir, and also, though not quite the bounding, graceful leaper he is manages to grab hold of a fire escape and swing over the chickens very good it's more of a jump leap swing for you because the bounce bounce bit no not so much you land on the other side with a thump and run off down the alleyway Grenick reaches the end of the alleyway cuts a left he's out of sight for all of two seconds when you come out of the alleyway I need you to make a perception check please both of you 14. I believe I'm going to use my inspiration. Delilah glances around and narrows her eyes a second and kisses her fingers and brushes them against the cornerstone of a building, which looks a lot older than the rest of them. That's weird. There you go. Oh, there he is. He's dashed right. He, he went completely across the street and, uh, like he just jogged left, then ran across the street, and is now climbing up a fire escape on the other side of the street. Sneaky son of a bitch. You looking to escape some fire, Grenick? Piss off, lady! You'll never get me! Just then, from the street... Like, there are a few fire bolts which go crackling into the wall behind Grenick. And shortly after that, a cart full of blankets crashes into the fire escape just below Grenick's feet. Looking over your shoulder, 
There's the firewoman and the stone sailor. Apparently this guy is some kind of fancy Navy shark man, Carl Coulson, pride of the Imperial Navy, Irishman, you know, very famous anyway. With a bellow, the stone sailor picks the firewoman up and shot puts her towards the fire escape where Grenick is escaping. He goes wide. The firewoman sails broad and lands in a haystack in the alley between the buildings. This could cause a problem in Bailey Mina. Nobody's looking at you and Shakir now, and good thing indeed, because of this, the bystanders are none too happy. No sooner does she go aiming for the haystack than the crowd gasps, horrified. When she lands and comes out, the buckets are all over the hay. Buckets of water all over the hay. The hay is spoiled. What isn't spoiled is burnt. The crowd goes from interested to hostile in the blink of an eye. And meanwhile, Grenick keeps climbing. Delilah scans the street. She knows she knows a way up there. She's just got to remember it. Insight with advantage for your urchin background. The, the natural 20 works either way. There's a dumbwaiter for loading heavy things under the heavy uh, under the upper levels of that building at the back left-hand corner. You could be around the... I need you both to roll an athletics check to get across the street. It's uh, difficult terrain and will take you all of your movement this round. 15 for me. Uh, 18. Okay. Um, Shakir drops his shoulder and bowls through the crowd. Delilah, you reach out, grab hold of his cloak, and hang on tight. Uh, he pushes a line straight through the crowd into the alley on the other side of the street, where, although it's a little bit garbage choke, and uh, the buildings do tower up, it's a quick run around to the other side. Just the normal homeless folks who are trying to sleep through this burgeoning demonstration in the streets. From that street, there's a large burst of flame, and uh, you can hear the stone sailor like, What are you doing? And then there behind you as you turn the corner and run down another alley to where the dumbwaiter elevator is. The lock is fastened, Delilah. Roll sleight of hand. 22. Hey, Shakir. Yes. It's like she just touched it and the thing went click and opened. This is absolutely no damsel in distress. You read that so wrong, man. Come on, come on, get in. All right. Shakir's smile is starting to smile a little bit as he climbs in with her. So you hit the brake on the thing, just kind of knock it right open, right wide open. That's the thing with the dumbwaiters. You have to uh, control the speed on the way up with a brake and on the way down with that same brake because it's more or less a free fall either way, the way the weights work without the brakes. Anyway, 
to throw the thing open and you go rattling off to the top. You are perhaps a little bit exuberant with it because the brake barely stops the thing before it comes up to the top floor with a crash. And uh, both of you find yourselves doing about a six inch jump before landing back on the floor. And all the same, the door is open and uh, there running uh, like just at the other end of this long roof, you can see Grenick jumping across to another roof. I am going to take the dash action to get across the roof and I'm going to expend a sorcery point so that I can quicken a spell to cast Mage Hand so that it's ready, hanging around me for when I need to knock something over in front of it. Then very good. All right, so as you dig deep, you go racing across the top of the roof. Now, you dip, you dig down, you reach into yourself and you push out with your mind and yes, your reach does exceed your grasp. Far exceeds your grasp, in fact. So, Delilah, the thing I need to point out to you is that you are not concentrating on not glowing while you do this. You're, you're quickening it, but it's not very subtle. And so as she takes off at speed, Shakir, she just lights up. Like there's a trail coming off of her as she runs. And the first time he gets an opportunity, Shakir is going to talk to her about this. But right now, someone needs killing. All right, so you dig deep too. And uh, your longer stride soon catches up. What's your, What are your comparative athletic scores? My athletics is zero. I have a plus four. I also have the athlete feat. Okay. Well, Shakir, you blow her doors off, man. You can do this all day. She's going to be tired soon. But then again, this is not really a time to critique her athletic form, right? So you guys get to the edge of the uh, building. There is a 15 foot gap between them. And I need you to roll your athletics. If you have advantage, now would be the time to use it. I, I chose to, and it's a good thing, because I got a 1 and a 20. Both ends of the spectrum, eh? You get a double, yeah, double header. So there you go. You, uh... You leap out into the air between the buildings and uh, 15 feet. You know, that it ain't such a long distance to walk. It's a hell of a long distance to fly when that isn't really your thing. This is true. So as she leaps out over the alleyway, we're gonna look down from below and we just see this long streamer of light go jumping over the gap. Shakir a minute later. What did you roll, Shakir? Uh, I got an 18. So a moment later. So, yep. Uh, Shakir, you go jumping out, and where Delilah makes, an, makes it easily, you uh, actually 
just catch the other side. She's just, she seems to be made of air. Just boing, bounced right across it. You did it, but uh, it was it was a near thing. If you were six inches shorter, you might have had to reach and catch it. That would have been embarrassing. But you dig deep and push across the building. Granik is 60 feet ahead of you and opening a door to go down into the building. He's in the process of opening a door. Yeah, he's start, like he's 60 feet ahead of you and he's using an action to open a door. Uh, can Shakir draw one of his guns and shoot the door so that the door kind of pops right in front of Granik's face? Yep. Roll the hit. It's a, it's a 10, but you got to you got to do 10 or better. Wow. 11. All right. So, um Granik throws the door open and your shot catches it edge on. Like the top corner of the door just completely disintegrates. Granik like you hear him go fuck and he kind of bounces off the door jam and you know, it costs him a few that costs him a few and the door swings shut and mashes him between mashes him in between the door and the jam. Now you've stopped running, but Delilah hasn't. So in the intervening four sec four to no, let's call that six seconds, she's uh she's on she's about fifty feet ahead of you. She's really pushing it. Delilah, you're almost there. But uh Grenick rallies and steps up and runs down the stairs, pulls the door well, shut the behind. The door's him. not going to stay shut for one. It's gotten part of itself shut off so it'll bounce back open um and she's as she's running she's pulling her whip so that once she gets into the stairwell she can use that to grab the banister and swing around if she needs to all right so the door bounces back open and uh Grenick is left down the staircase i am going to dive after him if i flip over the banister can i use ac- acrobatics Sure. To 17. All right. So you leap onto Granik. Granik looks up and sees you coming. He growls and grits, and he can see his scrimshod tusks flash thomachrome for a quick second, just the little runes on him, as do his eyes. As you go down, you uh, you land on him. You've got... Uh, you hit him dead on. So we're going to do a contested athletics check, and it has to be a contested athletics check. Five. 20. Grenick is an orc. So when you swing down at him, he looks up at you. His eyes flash thomachrome as he finishes casting his spell. You land with, you land both feet in the center of his chest. Unfortunately, Delilah, you're no bigger than a minute. You weigh a hundred pounds. For as sophisticated and dashing as he is, Skinny orcs are still 200 pounds. And Grenick lives well and has made a deal as a warlock so that he's a lot stronger than he looks, evidently. Maybe. At any rate, you hit him in the chest with both your feet, but not before he's got his hand up to catch you completely by the torso. And without any effort at all, he tosses you completely across the stairwell to land on the opposite balcony in a heap just like you weighed nothing catches you in air and then throws you at the other wall he doesn't get the wall and he misses the stairwell so he kind of f's it up entirely really if he was trying to kill you but shakir that's given you enough time to get up to the stairwell and you're at the top of the stairs so you can see from partial cover 
Grenick stepped back, so he's at a three-quarter oblique angle. You can't see his head, you can't see the back of his neck, and you can't see his right shoulder. But you do see his left hand come back, and his body brace as though he's catching a weight. And then all of his muscles flex, and he steps back so that now all you can't see is his head and neck. Yeah, he lost some time with the last shot, so he's just going to keep heading down trying to, to get caught up again. You know, in rugby or football, there's a dirty hit where you hit somebody just above their hip, but just below their ribs. You fold them right in half and it hurts like a bugger. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly how you nail Grenick. Man, you fold him near and half backwards and you hear the wind escape from his lungs. Because you're a battle master, you know that orcs are strong. And so it's a bad idea to close with them. But this, well, this was a really calculated risk and it turned out beautifully. Now you keep pushing him with this and uh, you feel his, or his big orcus muscles bunch in to, uh, to resist you. And so you push even harder. But then Grenick does something that you don't expect him to. He reaches around and grabs you. And then there's a pivot as he turns his left hip to hit the, the railing of the stairwell. And you both tilt over and into the open space. You know, she hit the other balcony. She took a second to catch her breath. When she comes up over the railing, she's been bright before, sure. There's been some light. There's been some smoky sun around her. But what comes over the railing after Grenick and Shakir looks to be a, a shooting star. And so we're going to take a side view of this where Grenick and Shakir are plunging down five floors, punching and fighting each other. You know, Shakir's got a knife out. Grenick's got his whole forearm in his hand. They both hammer into the tiles with uh, no speed at all. The dagger goes clattering out between them and they roll off. Grenick stands up, hacks, and spits out a fish, which kind of flops off into the darkness. <sighs> some fun, huh? For some reason, Shakir, you're not dead. There is a pedestal with a bust, a marble bust upon it, and uh, you roll into that knock it over, the bust falls off and it plummets straight for your chest. You reach up just in time to catch it and then throw it away as you roll away from Grenick's foot. You regain your feet, disarmed, you go to reach out and pull your sword out, but you, your scabbard's all jammed up. You kind of landed weird and everything's twisted. So you stop, plant your feet, set your features, and you're ready to charge him. Because, you know, he's going to grab you anyway. He won't get the sword into much use when the sun falls out of the sky and clobbers him to the ground. And there before you, Shakir, without any doubt in your military mind, what you see before you speaks to your warrior soul. This is the fury and the fire that is standing right in front of you. Five feet, fuck all, and a hundred pounds. Mean as a wet cat. Standing in the ruins of Grenick, the angel herself. Shakir will grin, and as he takes this moment to cleanly draw his sword, he'll just kind of smirk up at her. Nice of you to drop by. <laughs> funny, very fucking funny. Oh, shit. Grenick, I want to make something real clear. You don't get to help kill my friends. 
I wasn't killing nobody, doll. I just took the money to set it up. Holy shit. Oh. I mean, what the fuck else is somebody like Giggle supposed to do for a living, right? No. You're done talking. You're done explaining. Now you're gonna pay. And the, and the camera rises up through the stairwell towards the light at the top of the stairs. And so the evening has arrived. Looking out through the windows as you are, Arabet, you see that the guests are slowly wa- are slowly trickling in, taking their places. The whole thing has a somewhat familiar feel. And as you look up, you see that the moon has moved to be Dead Winter's Eve. It's not quite the eye yet, but it's it's closer than it was two days ago. Visibly so. Out across the fields, the Azure and Crimson Legions are arrayed in all of their terrible finery. The mood here, although you've been to a soiree at the Violet Villa before, that other mood was a lot more anticipatory than this. There seems to be a current of surliness in the air here. But all the same, the excellent staff prepared the ballroom. Frankly, it took you quite a while to figure out how to get here, which is all right because, well, all of the time was well spent otherwise, wasn't it, folks? We'll get to that in a few moments, but for now, the staff is tidily going about their duties. And Ziva, standing by the podium, is going over her notes again. Good. Got this. It's the fourth time she said that in the last hour, and she stood up there and made various sonic and thomic checks as to how her voice carries throughout the room. Seriously, it's going to be fine. Coffee? Oh my god, thank you. The faraway look in her eyes, she drinks the coffee distantly, looking at the notes, shuffling through the cards, standing behind the podium. Ziva, the only thing that matters is what you're going to say, not how you say it. Yeah. Well, you're not having second thoughts, are you? Well, we're pretty committed. I'd say we're surrounded, but hey, that's the fun of this. (laughs) Fun! Yeah, don't worry. I trained my apprentice well. He'll show up at the right moment. I, you know what? You've always had my back, so I trust you. There is a flood of orange as the umber retinue arrives to inspect and make the seating for their contingent ready. Oh, I told you guys we should have gone to see them. Why, were you going to say yes? No, I just wanted to be nice to them. They're so cool. I thought you didn't like yellow. Well... I no, mean, but like, when does she umber orange? Yeah, orange. 
we are swords here, but they are not here to be nice to you. <sighs> I know. I just feel bad. Like, I don't know. I never got to have anybody super rich be nice to me before. Define super rich. Well, you know. Like, you know, be more money than you have to worry about. Able to buy a warehouse for cash, say? <laughs> when we return home, sign certain shall. Remind me to show you the basement. Uh, okay. That's super ominous and creepy. <laughs> I don't think he means it that way. I know I'm teasing you. The preparations are ready and Ziva in her long dress is bustled back to the same waiting room which you jumped out of the window of. Not how long ago was that? Wow. Well, you'll excuse me. I have a duel to get ready for. Yeah, be safe, Arabat. Please. Oh, yes. Right. Um... <clears throat> Wait, 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 Arabat, wait. And uh, Calder goes uh, chasing after a very determined duelist who is apparently leaving without a second. Not for the first time. He pauses by the spot where he first killed Doyle and wonders why that killing didn't take. Normally, you only gotta kill a fella once if you do it right. That seemed to be pretty right. I mean, you stabbed him right through the heart. He fell over dead as hell. So why ain't he still dead? The crowd is assembled. The ring is made ready. It is, of course, septagonal, a seven-sided affair. And on each side of the ring, there are the normal assemblage of fae spectators. Doyle is already waiting. He is stripped to the waist except for his hat because he wants to remain decent. He wears his work trousers and his heavy ironclad boots. He sits in his corner with his wrists and hands taped and his sickle sitting across his knees. Although the handle of this is wrapped in red leather, the steel of it appears to be of the regular variety. If somewhat shiny. Well, Calder will do his very best uh, to prepare Arabet. Uh, shall I take you a coat, friend? No magic. Uh, I, I swear I'll use no magic to remove your coat. Yes, yes. It's all in the words, isn't it, Calder? Very well, no magic. Calder will uh, take his coat and uh, fold it neatly, and put it aside, and uh, stand ready. 
the ring, the crowd parts and lets you get to the ring. There is the usual area around it. And now that you're both standing in it, it looks very much like a coliseum or arena of some description, as though all of the area and the many hundreds of people in the room are watching this with great and ghoulish glee. As Arabet walks up the steps and throws his foot through the ropes, a tall, elegant sylph with wings folded demurely across her back, wearing an extraordinarily well-fitted dress, catches a microphone which descends on a wire from above and says in a velvety voice, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all genders, after embarrassing Count Crimson like that, and there's a big rumble from the red side of the ring. And as you look off to that side of the ring, Arabet, there behind the rapidly increasing in size mass of fey that sweep away from the ring, you can see backlit is a spreading pair of antlers, a broad set of shoulders and elbows that look as though arms are folded across a broad chest. You can't help yourself. As soon as your sword slides out of its scabbard, you salute in that direction. Nice rack. You have one just like it, in fact. But anyway. The announcer... The announcer looks around the crowd and says, Gentlemen, I want a nice, clean fight. No enchantments. No magic weapons. Just raw skill to the death. Are we agreed? Agreed. Well then, draw and I shall retire. Seconds, are you in your places? So we got over here and good luck to ya. All right, Doyle, let's not linger. Yeah, all right, I won't linger. Good to see you out of bed. Likewise, Doyle. It is always good to see someone who should be dead already. Likewise. Shall we get on with it? He salutes you with that weird sickle-looking sword that he wear that he wields, and he drops back into this wicked defensive posture. And uh Arabet, you gotta dance around and he just watches you with his weird keyhole pupil yellow eyes. Initiative, please, Bet. Twelve total. You go first. I attack with rapier, and I uh, go low and faint towards the groin and move up quickly. So, Doyle parries your attack away and then reposts. You turn that with your rapier just in time. Oh, he says. Uh, did you think I was sleeping? No. I just thought you were worried about your boots. 
You'll worry about my boots before I will. And uh, top of the round. For the fun of it, Arabit switches style and directs a fuete, a quick literal whip roundhouse kick with the toe. Okay, roll your attack then. 14 to hit. That hits. Oh, it just does one. All right. You boot him and then land. He spins and launches 721 and 23. So uh, the, the first one misses, but the other two hit him. So on the last attack, I will take half damage. Uh, so that's nine plus, we'll round it down to four. 13 in total. Ouch. What has happened to you? What is your legended speed? My friend, I already told you, you're at the better duelist. And he throws his sickle down onto the, onto the mat. And he turns around and walks over, and the crowd just gasps. How do you wish to proceed? Well, clearly I can't kill you until you're worth killing. That would do my reputation more damage than good. Oh, you were so much faster the first time. I had a little help from my friends. Well, you're going to have to start getting up much earlier in the morning if you won't be murdered by me, my lad. I can see there's much work to be done here. Oh, Brian! Yes, Doyle. Don't say what I think you're... Turn in our resignations at once! Doyle, would you think twice about it? Not for a second! This man needs proper tutelage before he can be honorably murdered by an expert! This will not stand! Well, get on it, Doyle. And with that, there's a clankety-clankety-clankety-clank back through the crimson ranks, and the crowd wanders away, somewhat dissatisfied at the anticlimax. A couple of hours later, dinner is set. The places have all been taken. The Violet Vicomtesse Senior sits in her high throne, looking as nondescriptly middle-aged as she the first time you saw her, although she's wearing a different dress this time. And all of the guests are arrayed, with the notable exception of Gold, who has not deigned even to attend. From the back of the room where sits Count Indigo, you can see just this deep blue shadow hating everything at you with all vehemence and evil. Fuck you, right? And uh, interestingly enough, the Count is not wearing any physical form right now. They're just being like a the spirit, the indigo fey presence, right? Not wearing any flesh at the moment because you can't break what you can't grab. Pretty it's much. too cranky. That's, that seems to be the general vibe, yeah. 
last time anybody and that seems to be a common theme there are a lot of crimson soldiers between you and that rack of antlers at the back umber herself has set up a great big mirror at her table and her retinue has attended and brought the mirror to uh, watch the goings on the gallow glass servants are all there and like you'd see nari mixing with a few of them and hobnobbing and you know you know shaking hands and hey how's it going been a long time yeah yeah good to see you. oh i can see you've moved over to violet yeah well i always was violet oh yes that's right of course a couple of hairy eyeball stares from a few people and uh you know he stops and hands this one guy a couple of gold dollars because well you never did pay him before you took off nari and when that's all done everybody has a seat and the violet chamberlain who is you nari needs to call the assemblage to order i'll stand up clear my throat and do I have any sort of signaling device or apparatus nearby? My friend, you have only to clap your hands. That'll do. Stand up and hold up my hands and clap them together a couple of times quickly. The sound resounds and rebounds off the ceiling. The room falls silent. Hello, everyone. We are here to uh, conclude some business. There is a general murmur, a rhubarb that spreads through the crowd at this point. And I will I yield the floor to my sister. And with that, all the lighting in the room dims, except for one spot, which opens on some violet curtains, which open up. And there seven feet tall wasp waisted and elegant with her giant electric beehive of a hairdo containing actual purple bees that buzz around in various eldritch patterns and form these beautiful decorative glyphs on the many violets which adorn her miraculous coiffure when she moves it's impossible to see her lower body move at all she just kind of glides as though she's on rollers to the pulpit she stops as profoundly as the sun going she looks at the assembled colors across the room cracks a winsome smile and with those big violet eyes she just captures all of the attention in the room Holy fucking shit, Ziva, it's working. All that bullshit that the mean girls used to do when they'd come into a room, you're just doing that. Seemed to work for them. And would you look at that? It does. Holy cow. A little bit of hair, makeup, new dress, and a bit of a smile. Is that all? How tedious. But all the same, you've got them. Well, I'm so glad to have you all here together in one place where I can finally see all of you and I can look at all of you as I recall what you've put us through 
my friends and I, my family and I, were doing our thing. We were living our lives. And then we were brought here against our will, against our or, uh, had to act against our better natures in some respects. We have had to miss our lives and our loved ones. We've had to be here for you. For what reason? For what end? We don't really know. All we know that we are your tools. That you have brought us here to use us and play with us for your amusement. I wonder how much amusement you've gotten out of all of us. I wonder if this has been worth it. Or if we've maybe been a little bit more trouble than we were worth. I don't know. But I'm hoping that with my decision today, I will be able to put all of your... I will be able to put all of your doubts about me to rest. So here's the thing. I'm not as talented as my brother at giving eloquent speeches. I never really learned how to give fancy talks. So I hope that you will all appreciate that. I'm just going to be pretty straight with you about this. Okay. I don't like this. I really don't like being told that I need to get married. I don't think anybody would like that. I don't like that I got brought here against my will. I don't like that I don't even get to know who my father is. Because he was just, I don't know, rando sperm donor. Nobody's super important. Not even bothered to remember who that is. And I don't like how bad you've messed with my brother. And you hurt Calder. Hmm. All of these things have. They just made me a weird. And, and then, top of that, you aristocratic, arrogant, arrogant assholes. Tell me, that I have to come in here and play your games? Like, are you serious? Me? Have you not been paying attention? Do you even know me? Have you not realized my entire life, anyone in any position of authority 
anyone who gets to make the rules. Anyone who plays politics uses that to fuck with me. Nobody plays politics with me and it works out in my favor. I get shit on for being a half-elf. I get shit on for being a necromancer. I you? I have. This from behind you. Oh, I turn around. Do you really, Ziva? Yeah, because everywhere I've been. We should see how. Look. Well, that holds up. I'm sorry, but Nari, what was your initial directive when you were promoted to the extra legal affairs department at Starkweather and Fair? I was to assemble a team of operatives. And so you have done, which performed so remarkably in bailing Nina, turning the hearts of all of those river folk to the use of Starkweather and Fair, and to the purpose of House Violet. And for that, you were rewarded with a gift of faces and a good knowledge of the workings of fairy. But before that, for all of your faithful service, oh, and the strings you pulled for all of the education you made for your sister so that she would be your insurance policy in case your pack went wrong. Very ingenious, Nari. Our commendations for that as well. We have guided, shepherded, and loved you for your ingenuity. As you have recently said, your ability to entertain. But let us not maintain this charade a moment longer. Your sister will not return the sacrifices to you that you have made for her. I said there would be a wedding. I mentioned nothing of her being married. At no time was it mentioned she'd have to endure a marriage. Only pick an ally for House Violet. In the form of a wedding, she was to be an instrument of my will is an agent of House Violet. Yet you ran from the first moments, and for as merry an entertainment as this has been, time is pressing, and so, having made your decision, I will thank you for your services to Starkweather and Fair, not least of which has been this entertaining diversion. But your services are no longer required. And with that, the room begins to fade, but not before music plays, and the door at the far end opens, and a violet-haired, purple-eyed girl with her retinue, who doesn't look like you, any of you, is let in to much fanfare, pomp, and circumstance. And from the center of the floor, the Violet Chamberlain, who is not Nari, because Nari is fading, says, The Violet Vicomtes Jr. So we reopen the scene with this steam velocipede chugging along properly. Now that it's been all cleaned out and started up, 
after stopping to fill it with water and beg a chip of arcanite from a friend of yours around this part of town. You fire it up, everybody takes their seats again, and you roll off through town. Now, as you're going past the Iron Fire Bramble and Hudson's Bend, you are riding along the city, and of course, like, these things aren't every day, right? Especially not one as big and heavy as this. This one is like a military spec one. If you can imagine the hummer of motorcycles. So big, fat, wide tires and heavy chassis construction and heavy as anything with a big, chunky motor and a big, thick armor on the tanks, right? So that nothing gets shot through in those panniers. Like, it's a valid fighting emplacement for people your size, folks. And as you chug on through the streets, you get a little bit of notice. Now, Mumbles, your day went from pants-shitting panic to pretty cool, really in about the space of 15 minutes there. From where you're sitting on the back, you know, jamming out a bit, because honestly, this is riding in style. And so things are pretty good, and you're watching the road roll away behind. And it must be one of those things that if you have one, you see them all over the place. Because there's an orc coming in on a motorcycle behind you from the right there. Just rolling up, getting a little bit closer. And then, oh look, there's another one on the left. Another orcish fellow. Interestingly, both of them are wearing vests. Kind of like gang colors. Like, if you could believe it, uh, some kind of motorcycle gang. Guys, we have company. This does not go well. Can't we just go 20 minutes being the coolest people in town? Well, I still think our bike is cooler. Does anybody feel like a bag of gold in a den of thieves? I don't think those orcs are friendly. I don't either. All these bikes run on water, yes? Yours does, yes. Do theirs. You will have to roll an arcana check to find out. How far away are these bikes? Probably 50 feet and approaching quickly. They will be within missile range inside of a round. Also, 12 is my arcana. You know a little bit about it, just like you know a little bit about everything. Now, these, like I said, are custom made, but uh, 12. Hmm. You're not sure if that's a uh, Terabusha or a Dolmensch originally and knowing what the chassis was would give you a much better idea as to how the engine runs Scar, with your knowledge of mechanics, can you recognize these vehicles? And are the orcs wearing helmets? Uh, I can certainly try to identify them. I look over my shoulder Everybody make a dexterity safe. No, nobody's wearing helmets 20. Uh, Scar rolled a nine. Well, then, when he turns his head, he turns his hands. The bike goes over. Uh-oh. Son of a bitch. So, those of you who rolled less than 15, which is Scar. Join me. You are trapped in the pannier as the bike slides to a halt, with uh, Scar barely keeping his leg off the, off the road. The rest of you roll safely to a halt, 
as uh, Scar slides to a halt with the bike. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Make another dexterity save, Scar. Uh, 14. The bike stands back up on its wheels. He stops for a second. The uh, bludgers draw closer on their bikes as Raffin and Mumbles, somewhat mystified by the fact that they were suddenly thrown from the bike, run back over to the bike. But you get a chance to look at approaching motorcycles and roll an arcana check. Uh, that'd be a 12. So I know how it works. I don't necessarily know which brand they are. One of them is, uh, one of them is definitely got a minor elemental, which means it's fast and, uh, hard to mess with, but very heavy and needs lots of containment because elementals that are released from containment tend to be angry about it. Hey, Scar. Uh, uh. Uh, did you just see what I just did? Uh, yeah, that was amazing, but question for you. What happens if you hit the brake while this bike is still being gassed? Like, uh, one wheel stops and the other one keeps going. How far away are they? 40 feet. At 30 feet. I project a skeletal hand that attempts to grab onto the brake handle. All right. And I and when they're 30 feet as well, I want to try to freeze the water in the one that doesn't have an elemental if there is water in it. Okay. For the grabbing the brake, I need sleight of hand via mage hand. And for freezing the water, I need arcana. An 18 for my dexterous mage hand. Finally, good arcana check. 18. All right. So one bike, the front wheel locks up and it goes flat over onto its rider. There's just like this big crushing noise and it's terrible to see and I can't describe it and nobody should look at that. So please keep the camera off that particularly poor unfortunate. The other one. The water in the engine freezes up and everything locks up. The bike stops abruptly, throwing its rider off into a stall where you can see the body stiffen and the legs go limp. I yell at Scar, drive, drive, drive! Damn. I high-five Mumbles. As you leap back into the pannier, you high-five Mumbles. And, uh, Patty... You can't believe that you didn't get hurt there. This is a good quality seat they've got back here. Like this pannier, this heavy armored pannier did not grind through on all the cobblestones of Bailey Mina, which are famous for breaking the wheels on things. So, wow. This is what rich people can afford, huh? Doesn't even have rest holes. Paint's fucked, but no holes through it. Yeah, I don't think that's repainted anyway. Nah, man, the paint, uh, the paint damage is a story. A story is worth something. And like everybody in the street who saw this happen, you laid it down. Two of the people bailed off, ran for a few steps without getting off the bike, lays the bike down, stands it back up, looks over his shoulder. Both of these things hit invisible walls. His two compatriots who bailed off the bike jump back into their spots, and with that, he revs the throttle and goes. 
As you guys pull up behind Cerulean's loot, Scar, you put the kickstand down on this bike. On either side, it stands straight up on its tires. The back door to the place opens up. Bugbear Joe is standing there with a concerned look on his face. We have arrived. Yeah, I can see that. We brought the goods. Mm-hmm. Trash is waiting inside. Good. Let's get off the streets. And into Cerulean's loot you go, but not into the dining room. No, no. You are shown straight into the kitchen entrance and then down the back stairs, which go down into the basement where there's a large pantry. And behind a shelf at the end of this large pantry, there is an elevator, which goes down tickety, 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 tick. And all four of you can fit in here at the same time. And when it reaches the bottom, you walk along a large checker plate catwalk to a door which opens up into the subterranean lair of Tarash Arkul. You're accompanied the whole way by Bugbear Joe, who opens the doors and runs the lift. And when you come in with the case Thrasher, who is sitting there watching a globe, he's watching a hologlyph movie in a hologlobe with his feet up on his desk. It's one of the new extreme definition models that uh, is the size of... Well, you know, you could swim in it if it was a swimming pool. So he's watching these life-size hologlyphs as you come walking in. And with a wave, he dismisses the thing in the corner and looks over and goes, All right, uh, kids, good to see you've made it back. How was it? Interesting, to say the very least. It took a bit longer than expected, but we did bring the package as requested. Here you go. And maybe a little extra. Maybe a little extra. You can get rid of that velocipede as you see fit and keep the profits from that on top of this. However, I don't want it coming back to me. So don't move it anywhere in this end of Bailey Mina. Do you understand? Absolutely. That's wonderful. The next thing is, I'm not all that impressed by the fact that Grenick is on to you. Like, I know it's only been six or eight hours, and you're only four hours overdue, but where do you think the first place Grenick came when a bunch of urchins jumped out his fucking window and down the sewer, really? The sewer. The fucking... Runelanders was recorded live and curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes at runelanders.com. Like what you hear? Tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to runelanders at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook at Runelanders. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Runelanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. <laughs>
The fish salad here is fantastic. You've had it a dozen times, Delilah. A hearty meal all by itself. It does stick to the ribs like nobody's business. You've sat down, you've ordered, things are on their way. And as you and Shakir settle in, there's like blood spots on his clothes. He's like, he's cleaned his face and his hair, and but like there's spatter everywhere. Face is clean, hands are clean, fine to eat. Might've gotten changed, but Bronze Tusk is on the way. Over to you folks. How are you feeling? Delilah asks from behind a small mountain of fish salad. Not completely well yet, but some peace. Well, we still got to find Despard and get Ursa back, and hopefully Mir was right. She usually is. When that time comes, I will stand with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. She reaches out and picks up his hand, where she had seen a bit of burn. As Shakir looks at the the hand that that she picks up, he uh, he looks back at her. About that, there is something you have not told me about yourself. She murmurs something at the burn, and it disappears. And then she looks back up at him. What do you want to know? The light. Is it something you do or something you are? She sits with that question a second. Looks up at him again. I suppose it's something I am. I was hoping you would say that. Why'd you ask? Since I first met you, there has been something that has drawn me. It is why I stepped in when I saw you and the bugbear. It is why I stepped in with the knoll. And I was hoping that it was something about just the person you were, not an enchantment or I suppose it is an enchantment, but of a different sort. I mean, if I concentrate real hard, I can not, but if I don't pay attention, then been that way long as I can remember. Then perhaps it was not your perfume that is the reason I remember you. You know, I thought I recognized that draw the first time I saw you. The charcuterie arrives. It's a lot of meat and cheese, very thinly sliced. Probably two to three pounds of. Shakir grins and laughs a little. Uh, (laughs) Everything about this is different. Normally when I'm sitting at dinner with a young woman, there's a much different sort of environment, much different sort of atmosphere. Much smaller amount of food. And yet something about this feels more natural, more right than any of those other dinners and any of those other women. This place is so coarse, but it's alive, you know? Like, not a speck of refinement here, but all very real. And besides being a lot, Shakir, the food here is delicious. Well, I'm glad that there's that. I know it's been 
It's been a rough few weeks for you. It has. I admit, I spent much of that time unsure about you. I met you, and suddenly, everything. My friend, my family, my life, all pulled out from under me. And a part of me could not help but think in what way you were connected to all of this. But, and if I am being too forward, please say so, but... I feel I have been looking for you my entire life. Delilah smiles a little and says, Well, may yet I'll be connected, but I think if anything, Bailey Mina put me in your way to break your fall. 